Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Gogotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning again. My name is Cody Quinn. I'm the pastor of Students and Connections here at One Fellowship. And it's an honor to speak to, as always, Pastor Paul, who's here now, who was not at the 9 a.m., had the honor to preach at Destiny Worship Center, which is where we do Feed the Need once a month or partner in with them doing Feed the Need once a month, doing a drive-in food kitchen. So he was there. He was invited in to preach there. So I'm excited to bring the word to you this morning. And before I dive in, let me say one more quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we just pray that your word would cut us to the heart. God, that we would learn more about you, that we would know who you are, so that we can be more and more like you every minute of every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So you'll see on the screen, the title for my message is Jesus the King. We've been walking through the book of John over the past several weeks, and this is kind of the last installment of the book of John as we head into kind of a message next week and then the Advent season. So I'm excited to kind of somewhat conclude John here at the crucifixion. Yes, it's heading into Thanksgiving Advent, but we're talking about the crucifixion today and how we see Jesus as the King. And so you'll see that as we go through the message. But I want to ask, has anyone seen the TV show Ted Lasso? You can raise your hand, not raise your hand. Have you seen Ted Lasso? I don't know if you know this, but Ted Lasso actually comes to our church. And so you'll see this picture on the screen. Ted actually was 
was roaming around Daniel Island uh, on Halloween, and Ted, or Frederick, Ted's actually here this morning, and so we'll give it up for Ted. Thank you, thank you. Frederick was a perfect Ted Lasso, but I, when I think about this passage, I, I picture Ted. When I was thinking about what was the opening illustration, you see a little bit about Ted, and I'll try and give you the premise without giving away the whole story in case you do catch on or if you're not caught up. But Ted um, is an American college football coach who's successful, but then he's hired on by a um, English Premier League soccer team to be their coach. So highest stage of soccer, and he's hired on, but he's not even a soccer coach. And what you come to find out pretty quickly is that the owner of AFC Richmond, the team, wants Ted to come in and fail. Long story short, she wants the team to fail, to lose absolutely every game and just have everything go wrong. And Ted was her choice for that to happen. Well, as you see throughout the show is that Ted is a little different. He's different than everyone else. And no one's really quite sure what to do with him or what really his end game is until they spend a little time with him. He's kind. He's humble. His leadership style is very much so of, hey, I'm going to make myself lower to lift others up. He's very servant leadership. He wants his players, the staff of the organization, to live their best life, and he wants to push them to that. But he's misunderstood. He's so nice, so funny, so different, people don't quite know what to do with him. And that's what we see with Jesus throughout his life. He's different. He's not who people think he should be. They've heard, they've heard this story of this coming Messiah, this coming Savior. Some think it's this Jesus guy, but some don't. He's so humble, so kind, so servant, leader-hearted that they don't know quite what to do with him. And what we see in this passage is we see who Jesus is. We come to see what his mission was, why he came to be here, and we see the conclusion of his mission on the cross where he says, it is finished. And so as we dive in so that we can see Jesus clearly, our big idea this morning is just that. Jesus, the king, took on our sin for all time. Jesus, the king, took on our sin for all time. And we'll dive into point number one, which is Jesus, the king, and straight into our passage, John 19, starting in verse 16, reads this. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified, talking about Pilate and the leaders. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. 
When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so that so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast a lot for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. And skipping to verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour, sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now, there is so much in this passage. There's so much that we could talk about. We could talk about Jesus' journey to the cross. We could talk about kind of what's led him to this point. Well, we've talked about the few weeks now where he's been in the upper room with the disciples. He had a disciple betray him, sell him uh, into the authority here. He went on trial where he was blamed for many things. And now he's on his journey to the cross. We could talk about this journey. We could talk about his experience with the two men on either side. We could talk about his tunic being seamless. There's so many things that we could talk about in here, but what we're going to talk about is how he's fulfilling prophecy, how he's fulfilling all of the Old Testament scripture saying that he is the Savior, he is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. He's the one that's going to take on all sin of humanity and wash it clean. We see this, if you look in Isaiah 53, we see scripture talking about prophesying about a suffering servant who's going to suffer for his people. In Psalm 22, we read about pierced hands and feet and how the Savior's clothes will be cast lots to separate. We read in Psalm 69 how this Savior, this coming Messiah, will, will thirst and they'll give him sour vinegar. We read how he's fulfilling all these different prophecies all throughout, and that's just in this small portion. There's so many more. But kind of the biggest part, the biggest firework of all of this passage is what we see Pilate writes on the nameplate. You see what Pilate writes on the nameplate of Jesus says, the king of the Jews. But he didn't just write that in one language. He wrote it in three. He wrote it in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. And with this being Passover, so many people were walking to the city, walking by the city, walking around the city. And the, the, the place of the skull, Golgotha, the hill where he was crucified, everyone would see it. It was a very public place. And what this nameplate said is that Pilate wants each and every one, everybody there to know that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, it's for all people. He's the king for all people. This points us back to the, the covenant with Abraham of how he's going to be a father of many nations, how a savior will come through the line. It reminds us of the promise to David of how he's going to be a, a savior for all people will be come from the line of David. Jesus is the king for all. He is the savior for all. What he is accomplishing on the cross is for all people. For all people. 
talking about this, there, here's a quote from Matt Carter um, from one of the books I was reading as I was preparing. It says, I watched a debate between a Christian pastor and an atheist. When the pastor mentioned fulfilled prophecy as a reason for faith, the atheist scoffed. His comment was that Jesus knew the Old Testament, so intentionally did things to fulfill prophecy. But that's not prophecy. That's manipulation, he said. Matt Carter continues. He said, I love what R.C. Sproul says in response to that. He says, John does not say that the Roman soldiers got together and said, we should gamble for his garments because it says in the Jewish scriptures that someone is going to cast lots for his clothes. And we want to make sure that the scriptures are fulfilled to the last detail. No, this is John's editorial comment. This is his notes that he's written pointing out that the soldiers, when they went through this act of gambling for the garments of Christ, unknowingly and involuntarily were fulfilling the precise details of the Old Testament, prophecies concerning the death of the Messiah. John is zealous to help his readers understand that what happened on the cross was not an accident of history, but it came to pass through the invisible hand of a sovereign God. What I love most about this passage is that whether you're Christian or not, you see God's plan being weaved all throughout everyone's choices, all decisions, all actions, as God's plan in the background is working out. And it will come to pass, and it does come to pass here. As we know, Jesus dies for our sins, raises on the third day. His plan is working out. No matter what's going on around you, we can have hope in God's plan. And this, fulfilling all the prophecies, being on the cross, tells us that it's true. It's trustworthy. It's going to happen. So point number one, Jesus is the king. Point two, Jesus took on our sin and its shame and pain. John 19, starting verse 25, reads this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, which is a term of endearment back then, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. You see, in this very short and simple point, point two, in the middle of Jesus's pain, he's still looking out caring for those around him. Not only is he doing this macro, dying for the sins of all, taking care of all people on the macro level, but he's still concerned with the micro. He's still concerned with right here and right now, right there and right then. He sees them. He sees his mom who's looking at her son going through all this pain where she's carrying pain. She's carrying shame. Can you imagine watching your son be on a, naked on a cross, going all through this, and he takes care of her. He takes care of his friend who is there. He meets their needs in the moment, and he's here to meet our needs as well, not just dying for sins, as if that wasn't enough. But he's also here to take care of our shame and our pain. You see, sin, when it entered into the world, it had a huge ripple effect. 
Sin has huge ripple effect, and a couple of those are shame and pain. They stem from the sin in our life. And Jesus comes to meet those needs as well. What do you need from him today? How do you need to be cared for? How do you need to be loved today? Jesus cares about your life even now, even now. Jesus took on our sin and its shame and pain. And point number three, once and for all. Once and for all. John 19.30 says this. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What's finished? What is finished? What was Jesus talking about here? Well, as we just talked about sin entering the world, we see that when sin entered the world that it caused havoc, it caused chaos. And we read in Romans that for the wages of sin is death. There's a price to pay for the sin in their life and that price is death. Romans 3.23 says that we all fall short. We all have sin in our life. And so what did Jesus finish? He came to finish what was mentioned in Genesis of where there would be one who would come to crush the head of the serpent, but that would bruise his heel. We see Jesus came to defeat sin. He came to stand in our place, to take on the sin of our life and everyone's life, take on all the sin, take on the punishment that was due for that sin because God is just. Justice must be had. So a perfect sacrifice had to be made and Jesus was the one to stand in that place as the spotless lamb to make us right before God, to put us in right standing before God, to reconcile our relationship with him once and for all. And his work, his ministry leading all up to this point of being crucified was finished. He had, li- he had lived a spotless life died for the sins of many. And we know the story even continues as he raises from the dead, but we'll save that for Easter. Once and for all. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, suffered once for sin so that he might bring us to God. Hebrews 9.28 in the message says, everyone has to die once, then face the consequences. Christ's death was also a one-time event but it was a sacrifice that took care of sins forever. And so when he next appears, the outcome for those eager to greet him is precisely salvation. And the question is, are you eager to greet him? How will you respond? How do you respond to Jesus, to his journey to the cross, to his action on the cross? How will you respond now that you know him fully? There's a few different ways we see responses in our scripture. We see the soldier's response. How they're kind of indifferent and numb. How they are just going about their job, going about their task, doing what they do. Another criminal. Just indifferent to who Jesus is. Numb to the fact. We see Pilate's response. We've talked about Pilate a little bit today, even more last week. But we see that he's preoccupied. He wants no blame of the responsibility. He's more preoccupied with what he's doing and the position and power that he holds in his role than he is about 
serving true justice with Jesus. We see in John 19 earlier, and we talked about this last week, how he gets to a point where things change, even for Pilate. It says in John 19 that, and then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. See, something changed for Pilate as he was spending time with him. He saw Jesus for who he was, but nonetheless, his position, his earthly, worldly position meant more to him than honoring Jesus, than surrendering and trusting Jesus. Does your worldly position, does the power that you hold here preoccupy you? Or are you like the Jewish leaders who are just hostile towards Jesus and his plan and how he wants to rule this earth as they sought to kill and attack him? Or are we like the women or are we like John who follow his whole journey, who are still there at the very end, at the foot of the cross, in surrender and in trust, trusting that although Jesus is, is dying physically here, he's got a plan that he's working out. We trust in who he is. We surrender to his plan. Who are you today? How will you respond today? As Jesus is king, N.T. Wright says this, Jesus is saying, give up your agenda, trust me for mine. Give up your agenda and trust me for mine. What is your agenda as you live out your life? Jesus is saying that he's the king that's worthy to be followed, has a good plan for us. And that the sin that we have entered into this life with, the sin that occupies our heart, he's died for it. We can be forgiven and made new in him. Will you trust him? Will you surrender in him? See, Jesus the king took on our sin, took on your sin for all time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you did to the cross, on the cross. God, I think we all, no matter how we, we will respond, I think we all can kind of be like the soldiers and be numb to this story. We've heard, if we've been to church any time, we've heard the story of the crucifixion over and over and over and the cross, and I think sometimes we can be numb to it. Although it's a story we hear all the time, it's because it's so important that you took on the sin of the world, you took on the weight of the world, you took our place so that we could live, so that we could be made clean. Father, may we respond to your word. May we respond to you by surrendering and by trusting. It's in your name we pray, amen.